Hello and welcome to Western Reaches number 21. We're a Toshi Station podcast that just talks about whatever nerdy stuff we love. I'm one of your hosts, Seth, and with me as always is Megan Cross. Hello. We're recovering <laughs> from a little bit of technical difficulties, so we'll see. But we're here now. We're here. We're here and we may have done this a couple times already, but we are here. Maybe. <laughs> with two very <laughs> special guests who are returning from a previous episode, we have both of the mics, Mike Audet. Why, hello there. And Mike Templeton. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> this is my cue to say they're our Pokemon experts. <laughs> I, don't know why I, I don't know why I asked how you are. <laughs> yeah, gosh. <laughs> Trying to be polite. What is this? I know. <laughs> and then we just all ignore you. <laughs> yep. Um, so yeah, we anyway. have them on to talk about Pokemon again. So if you've been with us for a while, you'll probably remember them from a previous episode in which we talked about Pokemon right after it came out. This episode, we're going to talk about it now that we've all finished the game to a point and finished the Elite Four and caught some more Pokemon. So watch out for that later on this episode is our main topic. First up, though, a small plug for the Drowning in Moonlight Midnight Mission Charity Gala happening at Star Wars Celebration Orlando. It's being organized by a bunch of people from the Star Wars podcasting and blogging community and sphere, um, including people from Toshi Station and the Star Wars Alliance. And it is happening at Star Wars Celebration Orlando on Thursday, April 13th at the Rosen Center Hotel. So if you want to go check that out, it'll be a really cool event for commemorating Carrie Fisher and raising some money for the Midnight Mission charity, which is one that was really close to her heart. And... You can find it on Facebook if you just search Drowning in Moonlight Midnight Mission Charity Gala and also on Eventbrite for searching the same thing. There should be a website up in the next couple of days, so keep an eye out for that. Um, it should be good. Yeah, it should be nice. There's going to be a, a variety of activities. It'll be poolside. There will be an auction. Um, there will be glitter. There will be things to do. It should be nice. They'll definitely be fun after a after a full day of con going. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Yeah, God, I really wish I could go to this. <laughs> like, I've been watching everybody talk about it all day. And like, I hear there's going to be glitter. And man. Of course there's going to be glitter. <laughs> That's like the main draw. Yeah. I'm there for the glitter. <laughs> People are calling it Star Wars prom. And I sort of love that. <laughs> Does that mean we need to get prom dates? Because I don't have one. <laughs> well, sort of. That was part of the discussion. Oh, I, know, I, thought you asked, I thought you asked everybody out today on Twitter. Yeah, I know. I asked if everybody was going to be my prom date. So I figure that's just okay. what I'm going to go with. Oh, yeah. clever. So you've all just been co-opted into that. I'm sorry. Okay, collectively. <laughs> Except for you, Templeton, because you're not going to be there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's going to definitely save on uh, tuxedo rental. So. Yeah. Unfortunate. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, check that out if you are interested in going. It should be a really good night, and it'll be a really nice way to commemorate a really awesome woman with a bunch of other fans. Um, but other than that, and speaking of glitter, no, I ruined that. I ruined that so bad. Anyways, we are talking about <laughs> books now. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to bug our guests, actually, first. Oh. Mike Templeton, have you been reading anything recently? Oh, my goodness. Um, as, uh, continuing my streak from last time, no, but, <laughs> uh, I have been, I haven't been reading any actual novels, but I still am reading comics, um, 
which currently I am still reading Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from IDW. Uh, consistently one of my favorite books. It, it's it's kind of the best version of all Ninja Turtles. Uh, it, it borrows a lot from the original book, but then every cartoon series that's come out afterwards to kind of create its own its own universe. And then it does really neat things with the mythos that have never really been done before. Like it kind of explains how these turtles are brothers and ninjas through the use <laughs> of reincarnation. Huh? And it and aliens. Okay. <laughs> All right. Interesting. And, and it, I know, right? So currently, uh, it is on. I forget which story, what number story arc this is, but uh, it's up to issue 65, 66. Um, and a lot has really happened within the last couple of years of the book running. So now the Turtles have defeated the Shredder. And per the clan traditions, whoever defeats the leader of the Foot Clan uh, becomes the leader of the Foot Clan. So <laughs> now, so now Splinter is kind of splinters the turtles master uh he's kind of in this position where he's leading the evil foot clan but trying to change the way they've done things but they're still ninja assassins so the three of the brothers leo raf and don are following splinter and kind of like trying to make good but michelangelo who's kind of the most emotional of the group is like, no, nah, like, I didn't sign up for this. Like, we wanted to beat the Shredder. We did that. Like, why are we working with the criminals now? And he kind of left and did his own thing. Ooh, drama. Yeah, so it's an interesting family dynamic. Um, but highly recommend you pick that up. I also picked up Love is Love from DC and IDW today, which was a neat, beautiful book uh, done by a lot of different... It was a big compilation book um, about the LGBT community and all the, I, I think a good majority of the proceeds went to the Orlando uh, shooting victims. So definitely pick it up. My wife is flipping through it right now. I'm going to read it after her, but it's just everything I've heard about it. This is an amazing book to get. That's really cool. Yeah. I was, I don't know if my local comic shop, just didn't get enough copies and it was sold out by the time I got there or what, but uh, I'll probably have to track it down online. I've been, uh, it's been on my list for uh, since it came out. Yeah. My, my shop said eight people ordered it, but they only got three and I wasn't oh, wow. one of the, I wasn't one of the people. So because I'm <laughs> a better customer, because I'm a better customer than the other guy, they pulled it out of his, they pulled it out of his pull box and gave it to me. Oh my God. <laughs> nice. <laughs> <laughs> hopefully that guy's not listening to this nice. episode or else he'll track you down i mean <laughs> i mean he snoozed he lose so. that's like yeah. a real world example of using paragon uh paragon interrupts or something oh my god I mean, definitely <laughs> that was that was definitely a high you know uh, i can't remember that skill in mass effect now charm yeah well it's like yeah, yeah there you, know, you go. That was my you had mind. a lot of influence with that particular character. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So, Mike Odette, what have you been reading recently? Uh, I've been making my way through the Rogue One novelization. Nice. Um, I got it <coughs> like a week after the movie came out. 
And uh, it adds a really a lot of cool stuff to the film itself. There's some extra scenes and you get to get inside of the head of the characters. It really does like a deep dive into Jin's character and gives her this like whole nother dimension that you don't even see in the movies, which is really cool. Um, I'm probably just about like halfway through. I'm at the part where the crew the Rogue One crew land, uh, they crashed land on Edu. So I'm going to try to finish it by the time uh, Life Debt comes out. I mean, not Life Debt, um, Empire's, Empire's End. End. When does that actually yeah. come out? What is the release date for that? I don't know exactly. I just know it's sometime in February. Late February. Let's see. Yeah, I know it was supposed to be out in January, but then they Del Rey wanted to split the releases up just uh, so the timing was a little better. So they moved it to February. Looks like February 21. Wow. I should really okay. read the novelization before that comes out. Yeah, you definitely oh, have plenty of time. The novelization. I haven't oh, even gotten it yet. I... <laughs> oh, man. One of the things I liked the best about it was the way, the way he wrote Jin. Yeah. It's really interesting to see her thought process between, you know, how, how she's grown up and her relationship with Galen. And it's really interesting. Yeah. And I think that's one of the places where the novel takes some liberties in a good way. Yeah. <sighs> I'll read it one day. I really want to. <laughs> <laughs> um, so Megan, do you want to talk about books or do you want me to do it now? <laughs> no, I'll go. Okay. I've, uh... <laughs> <laughs> this is the one that I keep talking about because we had to record several times. But um, Sorry, no, we'll get I, it right I read... this time. what <laughs> I said. We'll get it right this time. Yes, <laughs> we'll get it right this time. Um, <laughs> so I I read Mort by Terry Pratchett, which is like one of his <laughs> sort of young adult focused books. It's about death and death's apprentice. And the Discworld books are wonderful, but they get much better as they go along. And this is only like the fifth or fourth one. So you kind of see Terry Pratchett sort of starting to get his stride. So it's good, but it's not amazing. Um, and then I read Blood Child and Other Stories, which is a collection by Octavia Butler, which was really, really good. I'd read one of her novels before, but I think I, I might actually like her short stories better. She's read, um, or she's written really cool aliens in this. Um, Blood Child is a short story about aliens that are sort of based on like flies that lay their eggs inside humans. So it's about oh. a planet where people landed and, and met with this intelligent <coughs> species that sort of require humans as hosts and what is it like for a sentient two sentient species to be in that sort of symbiotic relationship um my other favorite story in the collection was about a similar thing was one called amnesty which um read very much like china mayville where it's about sort of humans in these weird like semi they're like almost plants they're these enormous symbiotic aliens and they kind of require humans to survive but are also much more powerful than humans so it's sort of about the power play and one of the things I liked about this collection was that she does 
comment at the end of each story and makes a point of saying like this is what it's about and especially with um with blood child she talked about it looks on it looks very much like it could be a a story about slavery and it's not really meant to be and she sort of goes into what it is about um and that it's almost supposed to be sort of an odd love story and how several of these in the collection were about her trying to make a positive spin on something that looks like it could be quite negative. Um, and she had some bits of essays with writing advice that all important writing advice, which is like, just sit down and do it, um, was, was central. (laughs) So that was, that was really good. I'd like to read more of her novels in the future. I like the idea of the essays in there. That's really cool. Yeah, there were um, one that was a speech. Actually, I think a couple that were speeches from events, some that were written specifically as advice for young writers. They were they were really interesting. It sounds like an interesting bunch of stuff in one book. Yeah, and it's a nice... Actually, this is kind of kind of odd, I guess, but it's a nice compact book. It's like a paperback and small and bound really nice and it's a good one to carry around i carried it like all around new york city so it was a good experience (laughs) um yeah i've been reading Well, i just finished reading the dream quest developed bow which i think you mentioned last episode or the episode before that yeah i think it was a a few ago yeah yeah and i i as well yeah, it was a gorgeous book. Like, it was actually beautiful. The ending made me cry. I really enjoyed it. It was so powerful and so well put together. I was just recently thinking about that author that I should go find more by her because I don't think I own anything by her, and I, I should. Yeah, I really want to read more of her stuff because I really like her style. When I started reading it, I wasn't really sure I would be into it because it's a kind of an interesting style it's very storyteller like a storyteller telling you a story rather than anything else but it's done so well and that story too i think kind of intentionally replicates lovecraft's voice a little bit because that's the one that's essentially lovecraft fan fiction so it, it reads like the author but i'm sure there's a bit of intentional um sort of taking that style there yeah, I liked it at the end. I think there's a little bit that she writes about um how how she read like Lovecraft when she was younger or that the other Dream Quest book and was like, but where are the women? Why are there no women in this? And so it's largely a book about, yeah, like the power of women in this kind of area that was largely male dominated. Yeah, it was very intentionally written to do that. And there there are bits in it about how we don't see many women in this area. I wonder why not. While at the same time, it has quite a few well-drawn female characters. Yeah, and I like, it has like these little moments where she thinks about what a world that woman dream would look like. And like, I feel yeah. like that's kind of a hint that maybe they don't end up in this like Lovecraftian world because they're dreaming of something better. Yeah, that was really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so I really, really liked that book. And I also read The Man in the High Castle, which I think a bunch of people have been telling me to read for ages. Um, I was on kind of a Philip K. Dick kick, apparently. 
I think it was just because all the books I ordered at the library finally came in at once. But it was an interesting book. I feel like I missed a lot of what it was trying to tell me because I'm not a huge history person. So, like, it had all these alternate history things of, like, this is what would happen if the Nazis had one kind of thing. But because I don't know much about that era, I didn't quite get probably a lot of the stuff he was doing. Um, it was an interesting book. I don't entirely understand what it was trying to do in the end. I think it had, like, parallel universe hints in it, but I'm not entirely sure. Um, I want to watch the TV series, though, because it sounds like it explores a lot of what was in the book more. Huh. So maybe if, um, maybe if you had a little more context, it might have read differently. Yeah, like, my best friend loves the book, I think. I think that's the one he told me he loved. And I think it's because he is really into history. He found it a lot more interesting than I did. Um, for me, it was just kind of... I feel like there was probably a lot more smartness in the book than I realized. Huh. Sometimes I have... I go to books that make me feel like I need to take a class to understand them. Yeah, I'm I'm aware of that. Uh, the TV show as well, but I've never watched it myself. Yeah, I think... It oh, somebody was telling me something about it a while back, and I can't remember what it was. But it sounds like it treats the um, characters quite well, from what I've heard, and I f I'm interested in seeing it. Um, I really liked there was one character I can't remember his name. He was this uh, Japanese CEO of a company or something, trade mission, something like that. You can already tell I've forgotten half the book. Um, but he was just like the most pure character ever, and he was such a sweetie. And the entire book, I just wanted everything to end up well for him. Uh. <laughs> so would you say that you liked the characters more than the sort of world building alternate history stuff? Some of them. Um, I'm usually more character based in stories generally. Um, but it's kind of hard with Philip K. Dick because he's very, his books are quite pulpy. So there's not a lot in them. Like there's a lot in them, but there's also not a lot happening, um, with characters because it's, it's a short book. So it's kind of hard to say. It was, it was definitely an interesting read, and I really wanted to. I really want to actually get into it somehow, so I'll probably get into it through the TV show. Yeah, it sounds like that might be a good way. Yeah, I, I'm a dumbass, so I need shows to tell me what's actually happening in things. But, um, yeah, so any other books? Anyone? No, I think that's everything for me this week. All right. Let's you talk know, actually, about... actually, I was just oh. thinking about books that I was carrying around. And um, not too long ago, uh, Viz Media, who does a lot of manga, reprinted all of the old Super Mario comics from Nintendo Power, the early from the early 90s. Hilarious. And it actually gives Princess Peach a lot more character than she's ever really had before, where she becomes the hero of the story. Nice. So it's actually, it, it's a very fun read. Um, there's there's one part where they have to infiltrate Bowser's castle to go save Mario, and <laughs> Luigi wears Peach's costume to kind of <laughs> fool them so he can infiltrate, but, he, but it's Luigi, so he gets captured, and Peach basically leads the Toad army in Luigi's costume. Huh, that's kind of cool. It's yeah, it's really neat, especially for early '90s. So, highly recommend picking it up. Huh, interesting. All right. So, speaking of games, since that is a game-based thing, <laughs> let's talk about that some was, games. That was, 
Yes. That, was a better, that was a better segue. It was Excellent. a better segue. It wasn't, it wasn't failed. <laughs> Anyways, um, Templeton, I feel like you want to talk a bit about Nintendo stuff anyway, so how about you go? Well, okay, so this past weekend, Nintendo, um, it was kind of a whirlwind weekend for Nintendo. They showed off the Nintendo Switch. Um, I believe that was on Thursday. Um, in Japan, they had a big old pre- press conference where they were kind of detailing the kind of the mechanics of the system so we now know that it is a fully based tablet system and and that the controllers have a uh motion sensors they're basically like very very new versions of the wii remotes that we've been using for 10 years and so much so that there's something called hd rumble i love that it's kind of I did too. I I thought that was really neat. So it tell it's so accurate the rumble that it can kind of tell that you can tell the difference between like they use the example of a glass full of ice cubes and you can tell if it was like one, two, three ice cubes or three ice cubes and a glass full of water. Huh. Wow. Yeah, it's intense. Yeah. So I had some friends that were over at the event um and they got to play it at the Nintendo store or uh, Nintendo World and uh, you know, I think I think I kind of got caught up in the hype. I'm I'm ready to <laughs> kind of I'm ready to step back. I didn't actually pre-order the system um, because the launch lineup is not super strong, and we're kind of getting into that same problem that it had with the Wii U, where there's a lot of games promised, but there's not a whole lot at launch. I mean, the Wii U still doesn't have that many games anyways, and it's been a while. You know what? It has it has AAA titles, Seth. It does. <laughs> but But no. Not but, many. But yeah, but but no, and that, that and that was the problem. And originally, like, everyone always takes a dump on Nintendo for not having enough third party support. And I feel like with the Wii U they really tried and then everybody left again. And I think with this, they're trying again. And now they they had um, he wasn't the president of EA, but he was in Japan talking about how they're bringing FIFA to the to the Switch. Mm-hmm. Uh, you had um, what's his face from Bethesda talking about Skyrim. Mm, that exciting man. So, yeah, Todd, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, so you they're at least making a show that there's going to be stuff coming. But when you actually look at the launch lineup, which Nintendo posted a picture of, it's kind of bare bones. And this is going to be like breath of the wild. And that's it pretty much. Right. Well, yeah. Breath of the wild is pretty much the only like triple a title coming out at launch. Then you have to wait for that other one um, arms, which is kind of (laughs) like, It's interesting. It's like a cross between like Wii Sports Boxing and Overwatch. Hmm. Like, I, I I'm interested, but I'm gonna I'm gonna sit back and wait for for some reviews on that one. Uh, the game I'm personally waiting for is Splatoon Two, which they totally missed the golden opportunity to call it Splatoon. <laughs> oh yeah, oh, that was, was what it should have been. Uh, <laughs> I'm definitely waiting for that. And then uh, Super Mario Odyssey, which looks beautiful, but it, it kind of seems like it's the Sonic adventure of Mario now, like where he goes into the real world and is talking with like super hyper realistic people and you have Mario. Yeah, 
It's, it's a yeah, bit like, weird looking. And, but they explained it so that he is actually going to different worlds, so it seems like he's going to be coming to Earth. Well, or it's a little Earth bit like life. in Kingdom Hearts, when suddenly you're in the parts of the Caribbean world and this hyper-realistic, and you're just like, okay, this is weird. Yeah, no, ex- exactly, exactly. So, I mean, I'm optimistic because it's Mario, and I'm I'm going to play it anyway. Um, but yeah, overall, I th- I'm going to get the Switch. I'm probably going to wait closer to Christmas. Um, I did <laughs> pre-order Breath of the Wild, but only because I wanted all the stuff in the special edition. And I figured mm-hmm. if I didn't if I didn't pre-order it now, I wouldn't get it when I get a Switch later. Yeah. And that's true because it's already sold out now. So. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, let's see. Still playing WoW. Um, the Legion uh, DLC or ex- expansion pack is doing great. We're going to get uh, patch 7.2. And then uh, 7.3 seems to be like it's going to be our end game for this one. So digging it um also waiting on this cool game called lover watch i don't know if you've heard of it (laughs) (laughs) it's coming out we might have mentioned it on the podcast before actually it's it's coming out soon i can tell you that it is okay like 90 across my radar like what seems like a year ago so it would have been july last year i think is when we started it (laughs) um it is literally like 98 percent finished it's just about importing everything else and then putting it up so look out for that because that will be very soon (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> nice cool yeah so michael did have you been playing any games um yeah just pretty much still sticking with battlefront uh, most recently the scarf dlc came out and it is absolutely gorgeous it the is maps the I'm maps sorry, on scarf oh, yeah it's amazing. <laughs> yeah the maps on scarf with the beach and the palm trees and the entire environment it just it looks incredible and the one thing that i was most surprised about was the game mode that they introduced with the dlc was it's called infiltration so it's got three stages to it where you have to fly through the shield gate and that's the first stage then the second stage you have to create a diversion where you blow up one of the cargo ships and then the third stage is when you actually grab the data tapes for the Death Star plans and try to make it to a U-Wing to get off the planet, so, which is not the same plot as the movie, but the sequence of events is the exact same. You know what it feels like? It feels like it was cut from the movie. Hmm. Like exactly. You, like you know how we've seen all of that material where they're running along the beach with the plans? Mm-hmm. Like I think I think this is one of those cases where Dice got that in a memo and started building it and then they made all the changes in the reshoots. And then exactly, that's what I was I I talked about that on a another podcast that um will be coming out about how essentially that could have been lost to the reshoots where we actually see them with the plans on the beach, et cetera, et cetera. And like, I was just surprised that the, the game mode was so close to the film for, you know, the sequences that for when it came out, cause it came out a few weeks before the film. Yeah. So like, obviously since it wasn't the same, it, you know, it didn't spoil anything, but 
if you played through that and then you went and saw the film after, you're like, hmm, this seems familiar. <laughs> I guess also it helps, like, if they... On one hand, you also don't want to kill all the players right at the end of the thing where they've got Victor anyways. But I guess it also helps in not spoiling that everyone dies at the end of the movie if you don't do it in the game too. That's true, yeah. Yeah. It seems a bit cruel to get the players through everything and then be like, bye, you're dead now. But yeah, bye, the plan is going to get destroyed. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, Yeah, Megan, what have you been playing? So I haven't played much outside of Pokemon. I concentrated on getting to the Elite Four this week, but I did um, have an addition to my family. I bought a PS4 this week. What? Nice. So I'm officially a two-console household now. It's a one used... of us. One of us. <laughs> yeah, welcome to welcome to the family. Thank you. Um, I haven't even plugged it in yet. I've been doing stuff, and so haven't even done that. But I oh, I got it because I pre-ordered Horizon Zero Dawn, which I am incredibly excited for. Oh, I'm sure I'll play something else on the PS4 before that to like get used to it, but. I'm really excited for for that game. The story trailer came out last week, and it has so many characters. It has so many women. It has so many people of color. And hopefully I'm not, like, completely overhyping it because the villain looks like the only boring possible part of this game. It's, (laughs) like, cool-looking people running around with robot dinosaurs, and then the villain looks kind of boring. But... I'm really excited. Yeah, that's a game I'm yeah. super excited for as well. It looks so cool. And, like, robots everywhere is amazing. I know, everywhere. Dinosaur robots. And I really <laughs> hope the gameplay is solid, because it does look like you're going to spend quite a lot of time, like, gathering things and hunting hunting dinosaurs. And if that's not, like, a solid mechanic, it could be- it could get annoying. And I know this is reaching, like... It has to be amazing levels for me. And we've all been burned with hype for games. We all know the tale. No Man's Sky. Man's Sky, yes. Yep. <laughs> so oh, I don't want to like No Man's Sky myself. But and that and that's what's dangerous is because this is another Sony game. Like I'm with you, Megan. Like I'm I'm on board for this hype. But I mean, after after what they did with uh, her, uh, No Man's Sky, like. Mm, like and this is developed by gorilla games which is a first party developer for for uh sony but most and they're really the only thing they've got going for them is that they're with the killzone franchise which is sony's answer to like halo so i mean you know (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> it's hard to know what'll. It's it's hard with games because, especially nowadays, they're so hard to make, especially make them like really well. So it's it's just, it's impossible to tell if the game is gonna be as good as you hype it up to be before it comes out. I guess simply because this is not a an IP we've seen before. It's a new franchise, presumably based on the title. They want to make it a new <laughs> franchise. Yeah. Um. It would be rather confusing title um because it's a studio that's sort of 
a J. Would I be correct in saying it's a studio that's sort of adjacent to something like Killzone? But like, they don't have. You can't point to the game they did previous and say this was amazing. So this one will probably be similar. They're quite different. Is that correct? Yeah. I mean, no. Literally, literally, they've only ever done Killzone. Okay. Yeah. So I know there's a little uncertainty with this one, and I guess. I'm hoping right now that it has either really good gameplay or solid characters. And, like, the characters don't have to be amazing. It doesn't have to be Mass Effect. But, you know, solid. As long as it has one of those two things, I'll be happy. If it doesn't have both of them, or if it does have both of them, that's just, like, extra at this point, I think. (laughs) But on the other hand... The robot dinosaurs are going to be the best thing I have ever experienced in my entire life. Yep. So. I seriously, <laughs> if I could afford a PS4, I would probably get one just for that game because I, I want it so bad. It looks so cool. <laughs> There's also Recore as well, right? That's not out yet, is it? No, Recore's out. Recore's yes, out? Recore How have I missed all out. this stuff? Ugh, I want to play that. one that actually I was quite excited for and didn't get good reviews. The gameplay yeah. was supposed to be very repetitive. Oh, uh, I'm not actually yeah, surprised. Recore- Recore, unfortunately, kind of came and went. Oh, that explains why I didn't know it was out. <laughs> I love yeah. the designs, but then I was waiting on whether to buy it before I heard the reviews, and the reviews said, like, not only is the gameplay sort of sort of tedious, it, like, goes out of its way to be tedious. Oh, no. And the story didn't really redeem it. And I haven't played the story, so maybe if I did, I would find something more to like about it, but it didn't. The reviews did not convince me to buy it, even though I love the look of it. Yeah, I liked it because it was like Robot Friends, but I'm also, I'm not here for tedious games. I, I'm i waiting for it to hit like the $20 sweet spot. So <laughs> over the holidays, I got an Xbox One and this nice. was kind of, so now it's like in my wheelhouse and I'm like, all right, just, just waiting for it to, to hit that $20 sweet spot. Yeah. Speaking of twenty dollars you- sweet spots, um, <laughs> sorry, Megan. <laughs> no, you you have to continue. Now. I have to continue. I got um, in the Steam sale. I got given a bunch of games because they were super cheap because it was a Steam sale, um, and I got a game of warning for ages since it came out, which was last year sometime I think. Which is Zero Time Dilemma, which is the third game in the Nonary game trilogy or whatever i don't remember what the actual thing is called i forget the name of all of these games all the time because they're stupid but um zero escape it's a zero escape game but it is basically not in the horizon zero dawn franchise no unfortunately not but it does kind of have robots in some of the games um it's <laughs> it's like a it's a japanese um visual novel game that is like you get trapped in a puzzle basically it's like a giant escape room and you have to escape and it involves like murder and betrayal and weird science pseudoscience stuff and it's really bizarre and it's hard to explain the games um i played the first one which is nine nine people nine hours nine doors or something like that um everyone just calls it 999 i played that a few years back quite a few years back back in high school or something and i really liked it it was weird and the puzzles made me really angry but i really liked the story and then the second game came out a few years back, and I played that. And the second game, which is called something, I don't remember. It's really cool. I really like the second game, because it has, like, parallel universe stuff and time travel and cool stuff like that, and androids. Um, 
And so the third uh-huh. game came out, and I was really excited for it. And because the first two games, there's a lot of it's it's a branching narrative thing, and it has a lot of different endings, and you have to play through every single branch and get every single ending to finally get the whole story, basically. Um, so in the first two games, I got basically trained into realizing that everybody was going to betray me and that everybody's an awful person and then I have to stick up for myself. And so I went into this game being like, I'm going to pick every single brutal option possible just to, just because I'm sick of this. I'm not going to be betrayed again. And the game has changed its style so much that it's not really a visual novel anymore. And it doesn't give you the same, it doesn't have like a branching tree. The previous games like had trees that you could go through. This is like broken up into weird fragments and you swap between characters you play as. And it doesn't let you be really mean to everybody because you play as everybody, basically. So you can't make a choice to betray a different team in the game because you're playing as that team in an alternate fragment kind of thing. And I am just heartbroken that I can't kill everybody and escape because that's just what I want to do. <laughs> like, I've been led to believe that this is how I should play these games and then I got to this game and it's like, no, you're a good person though, you can't do this. And I'm like, maybe I'm not a good person. <laughs> maybe not. <laughs> um, so yeah, I, like, I'm enjoying it so far but the puzzles seem slightly too easy compared to the earlier games. There's nowhere near as much maths, which I kind of appreciate, but they seem slightly easier and the story is kind of weirdly done and I'm mad that I can't be mean to everybody. And I think a lot of this is done because it's the first one of the games that has been made with the Western audience in mind as well. So I'm sort of like, hmm, I wonder if there's something to do with this. But it's fun. Um, if you like a game that's about like weird science stuff and mystery and murder um, I can I can recommend them. They're weird and don't always make sense, kind of like Kingdom Hearts, but they're fun. I'm definitely intrigued. Yeah, um, I think the first two are on like DS and PSP or PS Vita or whatever. Oh, yeah, okay. I thought this sounded familiar. Yeah, it is. It, it, they're uh, for DS. Yeah, yeah, and I think they released the second one on PS Vita or something. The third one came out on PC, which I am so thankful for because. DS games never go down in price. That is true. Yeah. So that has been a weird experience. I haven't finished that. I'll hopefully be able to be an awful person in it soon because usually I don't do that in games, but I finally just snapped and now I don't have the choice and it's making me real sad. But <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, let's let's talk about Pokemon, where you also can't be a say, terrible person. Speaking of DS games, yeah, yes. you can't be a terrible person in that. But I'm glad because I don't want to be. Um, but yeah, who has? Wait, okay. Before we start this again, I've forgotten who has Sun and who has Moon. I have uh, Sun. Sun. I have Moon. Okay, Mike, you're all alone. Oh. <laughs> yeah, you are you are the only uh you are the only Mooney here. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Did so... you like your giant moon bat? Oh my god, yeah. Yeah. I actually I actually really like the way Lunala looks. Is it the moon bat? I, I, I kinda yeah, that's that's the moon one. Okay. Um I kinda prefer that over Solgaleo, which is who we have in Sun. Mm-hmm. I was just surprised I... by Sokaleo's typing. I thought it would be like fire something. Yeah, it what is it? Steel psychic? Steel psychic. Yeah. Yeah. 
And it can learn the dark Z-move, which kind of makes me laugh because it's the sun Pokemon. Oh my god, yeah. And it can learn the <laughs> yeah. dark Z-move. It's so cute, though. Like, I didn't expect its, like, face to be as cute as it is. It's all fierce, and it has this, like, tiny little nose. <laughs> I felt real bad about See, catching I like it, though. Lunala's... I like the design of Lunala, but I'm really not a fan of the typing. It could just be because of the way my team ended up, where I had it's um what is it? It's a ghost psychic, and I already had um Rowlet's third evolution, which is a secondary ghost, and then I had the Alolan Raichu, which was psychic. So uh. it was sort of just like just there. I mean. It was. I had nothing else that that was a good enough level where I could use anything else. So I was just like, "All right, I'll just suck it up and use it." And like, it was just sort of like <laughs> was a waste, just because of what my team's typing already was. So I was just like, "I wish it was like the Solgaleo, just because the typing was different enough." Yeah. I was actually having this conversation with somebody else the other day. Did you actually use the legendary in your team when you went through the Elite Four? Nope. Nope. I felt real I bad because like I caught <laughs> I caught Solgaleo for for Lily and she's like, Yeah, he can be your friend now and you can travel with them and I was like, Okay, and then put them in right in the box the moment <laughs> nope, I caught right, it. <laughs> right in the right in the PC. Yep. <laughs> Although Sorry. I did I did go let him play on the Pocapelago, so Oh that's nice. nice. You know, so he's not he's not too bored. But yeah, no, right in the box afterwards. <laughs> I just I don't I don't ever like using legendaries or, or mythic Pokemon. It, I don't know. For me, like I'd rather just keep them put away because it's they always seem too op and i don't even like using them competitively because it's it it, to me it goes against the like the feel of the game Mm -hmm. i just don't use them because i don't match my aesthetic oh (laughs) (laughs) sorry megan my team was about the same level as solgaleo was when i got him and he actually like went down almost immediately in the first couple battles I had him in. So there was no, like, sense of feeling overpowered. And I had sort of... It took me a while for my team to cohere. I wasn't as attached to my starter, although I did end up feeling quite attached to um, Decidueye by the end. Um, So I was always kind of... There were always a couple Pokemon like hovering in my my group of six where I thought maybe this is the one I'll trade for the legendary. So the, the sort of slot was there waiting for him and I didn't feel really overpowered. I also I kind of like the legendaries for story purposes, like yeah. the idea of a kid walking around with an alien in their pocket seems like a good uh, <laughs> sort of way to hang a story or you know an extra story of your character on what they give you as the player like how would your particular trainer react to that is something i find interesting yeah no see and i, and I can and i can get behind that idea but it, it i mean do we want to talk the story yeah let's talk <laughs> yeah. about the story first um yeah. so because yeah. okay because yeah. that's my biggest thing is that like it doesn't feel like a personal story yeah 
I agree. Like this, this felt like I was taking place in everybody else's story, especially Lily's. It felt like Lily's and story, it, and you were just there. Exactly, especially yeah. because your character doesn't really talk and always just has the same expression. <laughs> yeah, like it's. I think it's only twice where your character actually reacts to the situation he's in. Hmm. But it's. I'm kind of glad you say that because I was like kind of wondering if there was something wrong with what I was putting into it emotionally because I didn't really feel attached to my trainer either. I loved Lily, but I definitely didn't feel as attached to my trainer as I have in the past. And I think you're right. It's for, because the characters around them were so strong and the player felt kind of separate from all of that, even though you could answer questions or you could like give snarky answers every once in a while, it still didn't really feel like a personal story. I was kind of hoping like the snarky answers would be like a Paragon Renegade system. Uh, <laughs> I would love to have that in Pokemon one day, just like, like morality in Pokemon. <laughs> yeah, like that. Just that would be so cool to have. But but yeah, like that. That's just my biggest thing. Is like everything happened around it, and it it seemed like I I liked that Alola kind of seemed like it was going through. A modernization kind of like how when japan opened up its borders after world war ii like alola was adopting other cultures in the sense that like they wanted to start their own pokemon league finally mm. yeah um and i yeah and you even saw like the way the different cities were based off of different cultures and how they were building things and yeah for sure yeah, because you hear you hear that they're building their own Pokemon League at the top of Mount. Um, I forget what it's called, but they don't. I I, I kind of wanted to see maybe more resistance to it, like like hey, like that's cool that uh, they do that in other cultures, but you know we here on Alola have been doing like. I kind of wanted to see some of the characters push back against modernization because I like the structure of Alola. I like how in tune with Pokemon they are. Yeah. Like I really did get the sense that these, that the people in Alola love their Pokemon and live with them more so than they, I really have in any game since Johto, because in those remakes, you could walk around with your Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And that just would have been an amazing feature to have in this game, because literally this is the one place where it's okay to do that. But whatever it's i'm not game freak but (laughs) um but yeah like it 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 just it feels like there's a lot of stuff missing yeah it's interesting that you mentioned that like alola is more in tune with its pokemon because and this is i'm gonna go into end um you know ending spoilers here I thought it was really interesting that they kind of asked the question of whether being a Pokemon trainer is a really healthy thing for the Pokemon. There was uh, the whole bit at the end where Lusamine accuses, or Lily accuses Lusamine of collecting things, of just collecting people and Pokemon and manipulating them. And Lusamine fires back with, how is that different from what? this Pokemon trainer is doing. And that question's never directly answered, and I don't necessarily think it has to be, but I was kind of surprised that they even, like, went there, and it seems appropriate that they would 
go there in Alola, which does present the relationship between humans and Pokemon as this very gentle, natural thing. Yeah, and they and they touch upon that topic every couple of games. Like I think they did that in Black and White, um, where huh. they were talking about how Pokemon. Uh, I think it was Team. Uh, I can't I think they were Plasma. Yeah, I think that was in Black and White. Um, but they wanted yeah. to get rid of Pokemon trainers because specifically people were using them for battles and that's not how Pokemon really are. They're essentially mm-hmm. PETA. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. Um, but I feel like that theme would have worked probably a little bit better here. I I did like the fake out with the bad guys. Like you yeah. saw Team Skull and you were kind of like, okay, like, yeah, they're the bad guys, but they always seem too goofy. And when I saw the Ether Foundation, I was like, okay, no, we're going to get a fake out. Yeah. Yep. And and we did, but it seemed like they introduced all these characters in the Ether Foundation, and we only ever really got to see Lily's mom, which I've been pronouncing it Lusamine. Oh, you you could be right. I I only like I've never heard it spoken. Is that how is it I, said I, in the anime at some point? Uh, she the characters already appeared in the anime, but I don't think that episode's been dubbed yet. Oh, okay. So oh, I'm, okay. I'm waiting for that, but I just I went with a French pronunciation. So ah, that makes sense. <laughs> It's like it's like Hermione, Lusomini. <laughs> yeah. All right. Yeah, I just went with Lusomini, so. Yeah. Yeah, so. I did like. Sorry. I did like that whole story of, like, that family and Team Skull were, like, surprisingly, I had a lot of, like, pathos to them. Um, yeah. They were weirdly I, endearing. They, they were, and yeah. there was a lot about how they kind of slipped through the cracks of society, and you could see, like, why people might join them. And, like, they were never presented as cool, like the ones in uh, Sun and Moon, or not Sun and Moon, X and Y. Like, they were cool. They were, like, trendy. And I was like, oh, I can see why people would want to be in this team. Whereas with Team Skull, it's like, I, I don't really want to be in this team, but I can see how people end up going there and that was kind of cool i feel like yeah i I feel like team skull was kind of the like everybody knew who these kids were and as long as they didn't really do anything bad they just kind of let them do their own thing like kind of like oh yeah like team skull oh no team skull's back oh don't (laughs) okay Like, You're gonna draw sad faces on things, like yeah, yeah, like okay, like honey, honey, go get the paint. We're just gonna cover up the graffiti when they leave. Like, it, <laughs> yeah, it, I it, that's why I like Team Skull, and I love the, the what like all the memes that are kind of coming out of Team Skull, especially like with cosplayers. Like, yeah. I don't know if you saw all the videos from Magfest a couple weeks ago. Yes, that where there was so a, good. <laughs> There was a Team Skull group, and they were just walking around doing the, like, <laughs> the swag walk. <laughs> That's awesome. And there was one girl who, like, dropped, like, a Pokemon plush, and they all, like, ah! Like, all of them got down, like, doing the move. Uh, the, like, squatting thing? Yeah. Yeah, the whole squatting thing. Like, <laughs> I, I love the... I, something about them is just so much funny, and it, probably it's because I grew up with kids like this. So I think we all like kind of grew up with these kind of kids in like high school and middle school. Yeah. Yeah. But like, 
it just it, it just spoke to me and i really liked guzma i really wanted to see more of guzma yeah um him it like both he and gladion kind of fell out of the end the very final scene yeah exactly yeah and i'm like the last one to complain that the male characters were sidelined but the male <laughs> characters <Yeah>. were sidelined <laughs> and like i i kind of thought it was funny more than anything else but i i see what you mean yeah he like he could have had his own emotional resolution and he didn't i'm yeah, still I sad that was... like um gladion at the end he's like we're still not friends but whatever and i'm like are we not after everything we've been through together <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. yeah like bro like i've been working with your sister like <laughs> come on come on um but no yeah like guzma was sidelined for um uh his second in command uh uh plumeria oh yeah and you saw more of her than you did yeah than you did him so i um but i liked but i liked his story that guzma was basically bad because he tried to be like a trial, um, a trial kahuna and failed. And so yeah. I wanted to, I like, I, I thought that was really interesting and I wanted to find out more about it and we didn't get anything. Yeah. Yeah. That would have been cool. Yeah. I feel like I this game, like, like he... it had a lot of potential for more story stuff, but didn't want to actually commit to all of it exactly like and i feel like that's the kind of thing that like, they're gonna cover all of this info in the anime which mm. sucks because you know we gotta watch you the anime for it. that like i'd rather play it yeah yeah like the team skull the whole team skull segment where you go through their little base and everything was so much fun that was really cool and i feel like, I like yeah. that it was a whole town yeah like, like and it, yeah it wasn't just a base but it I was think, like they took over a whole town i think half the reason i liked it so much is because it didn't like it just threw you in there and was like yep figure this out and i was like cool and it had like a really cool little atmosphere and yeah because it was the whole town it wasn't just like a underground base or something it was an actual place that was like falling apart and you could see mm-hmm. them living there, and it was really, really well done. I think the the thing I loved about it the most was that it didn't have like the teleportation panels that are always in every Pokemon game. Oh yeah, I know. Like, oh, I'm my God, so yeah. glad it didn't have this. Oh, I forgot about those, and I'm so glad. Uh, <laughs> like Instead every it's... single like boss like battle you have to go through. It's just like, yeah, I'm so glad they switch it up it did something different this time instead it had the password where you basically had to like yell at the guard in order to get through the door <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, that th- and that threw me off because like i i during some of the like the chatty sequences i just keep mashing a uh, so yeah. i kept saying yep. yes <laughs> it uh, took me a couple tries i, I got like, it because i found the paper that told me to do it and i was like okay and then i got to that point and i was like oh i understand what it's telling me to do i solved the <laughs> puzzle i was so proud of myself <laughs> No, I had to go. I had to go back and read it, and then I was like, "Oh, like that's smart." Yeah, yeah I, just, I actually had to. They're go, doing like, it because of people like me. Yeah, it <laughs> was know, a really smart to thing to do. Look it up. I had to go back and look at the paper again and be like, "Oh wait, that's where I have to just say this first. Yeah. That was fun. <laughs> that village was definitely where the the kind of what they were trying to do with Team Skull hit home with me. Especially there's the part there's the guys in the Pokemon Center who are like, "We're just trying to start a business here," 
And that was, I felt for them. Yeah, I liked them. I was like, yeah, I'll pay you to heal my Pokemon. I get not being able to afford rent. I can, I can mm-hmm. dig that. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> I'll support your local Poke Center. Yeah, exactly. Um, and then we never got any resolution for who the Mass Royal was. <laughs> yes, we kind <laughs> of did. I think we did. <laughs> like, we, I mean, I still don't know who he is. I mean, that mask <laughs> is just, it's just, it covers everything. I don't, I don't know how anyone could tell. Who could it be? (laughs) So how, now that you've finished the game, or at least finished the main story of the game, how do you feel about the hand-holding that we discussed last time? So I wanted to talk about this in particular because my opinion has changed completely. Um, I at first was like, I don't need this hand-holding, and it sort of bugged me that everything was was sort of linear, but I found the way that it really spells out type advantages to be really useful. Oh my god, yes. Yeah, and it's like one of those things where I wouldn't want to have to go back to not having that, especially because there were so many types, and like, I know the basic ones, but I tend to forget, like, okay, what's good against fairy types or something, and it was really useful to be able to check... Not only what was going to be most effective, but which Pokemon in my roster would be the best one to switch out next. And uh, so I really liked that. So I kind of eat my words from last time. I still think mm-hmm. that some of the main plot was too linear. But overall, I got used to it and I thought it was really useful. Yeah, there's definitely qual- quality of life changes, like specifically the type advantage screen. Um, that just kind of seems like it needed, but... Uh, uh, too like i needed the map in a lot of places and i needed to like that little flag to tell me where to go (laughs) yeah the pokedex still bothered me a little bit the way they they filled up part of the bottom screen with just the images of the pokedex blinking kind of seemed unnecessary Mm -hmm. you could poke them in the eye really (laughs) yeah if you poke them in the eyes he like moves around yeah (laughs) i I played for like like, I don't know, 60 hours or something and never poked the Pokedex in the eye. I'm just a terrible person, um, I think. <laughs> <laughs> um, now I'm curious about what my actual number of hours that I put in was. But yeah, the, the, the red arrows became useful as well. Yeah, I still have mixed feelings on it because... I agree with the type advantage thing, especially now that so many Pokemon are dual typed. It's like, I, I have so much trouble keeping track of what's weak against what anymore. But I still, I'm still weirded out about the fact that you can just keep trying over and over with the legendary Pokemon because I'm, I don't know, it feels weird because it's a legendary. But I also understand, I understand why games are accessible and easier for people and I, I appreciate it. I wish they had a difficulty setting though or something that would like turn off some of that stuff because I, I wiped out Solgaleo, like, a one-hit KO without meaning to. And then Solgaleo was just back there again, and I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, I just kind of love that. Yeah, like, because I, sa- I saved right before then, because I was like, oh, what if I what if I kill him? And then I have to go back to my save and get him again, and then I, I wiped him out, and then he was just staying there again, and I was like, okay, never mind, I don't have to save for this anymore. But I'm still so yeah. used to it, it's drilled into me now, because I accidentally, when I was playing Ruby, I wiped out Groudon, and I hadn't saved for, like, five hours before that, and I was just like, oh, no. Uh, <laughs> it's like this. Yeah, the- I still do the saving before yeah. big battles. I just, I just took out Tapu Koko at the ending, 
and you can't there's no opportunity to save no, exactly i did the same thing oh I was yeah like, oh are you kidding me i just yeah, i threw so great I balls at him until i caught him i didn't even try attacking him because i knew i was gonna kill him <laughs> that one i i didn't catch and i thought i thought for a little while about going back and saving again but that's that really long cutscene before that yeah. yeah so i just yeah I was warned about that cutscene. Something went around on the internet, like, be prepared when you're done with the Elite yeah. Four, you're going to have a long, long cutscene. So, I mean, and it's it's not bad because it, it's neat that it, it's neat to see all like the trial captains come back and celebrate you becoming the champion. Um, because that's that's the thing that's always bugged me about the Pokemon games is that like in a lot of the earlier ones, the gym leaders are all one and done characters. Yeah. And it wasn't until black and white where the where like the gym leaders actually got out of the gym and like were kind of big in the local community. And some of them like even went out and helped you to do certain tasks. And I just I want to see more of that. Like, why are these people? Like, why are they the trial captains? And going back to what I said earlier about, like, how it's everybody else's story but yours, like, we find out with Hapu when she becomes a trial captain. And then you get her whole backstory about how, like, her great-grandfather was a trial captain and her island hasn't had one in a while until, like, um, Sogaleo or or Tapu, I forget which Tapu she has on her island, set, like, basically bestows being a trial captain on her and then that's when you battle her. Yeah. Like all of this stuff happens to everybody else besides you. Yeah. Mm. And then kind of the weird thing is that your character's not from Alola. So it kind of se- like <laughs> it kind of has this weird like colony like colonist feel. Where, like, yeah, a little you're bit. You're coming it in. It does. You're com- coming in and taking over your own like someone else's culture like. <laughs> yeah. The champion from Alola isn't even from Alola. Exactly. I had I had head canoned that my champion was half Alolan because I planned to like work that into characterization at some point and then never <laughs> did. <laughs> I don't really see, think that makes it better though. <laughs> yeah. No, see like my my head canon is that like I'm the same trainer from every other game I've played. I'm literally just going around the world. <laughs> just going That's to cute. each island, yeah. Like so that. like I so I use the same I use the same name in every in every game. So Yeah, I don't remember if I talked about it on the last one. Uh what did you think about the um the Poke Ride system, which essentially got rid of the HMs? Oh ride Pokemon, yes. Yeah. Love it. That was cool. I I thought it was okay, so it was easier to access in that it was easier to get them. Like you didn't have to spend a lot of time looking at areas and going, I know I can get there when I get an HM. I just can't get there now. However, mm-hmm. I found it more difficult to access in terms of a menu. I don't know why. I kept <laughs> confusing either it was B and Y or, or what. I kept confusing the button. So it would take me like too long to get down from one of the ride Pokemon and it annoyed me, but I, I don't think there was really anything. I don't know. Unless you guys also had a problem. I don't necessarily think there was anything wrong with it. I just had some sort of mental block about the buttons. I always mix up X and Y. (laughs) I always push the wrong button. Like I, I still haven't gotten used to from when these freaking things change from game boys. 
and like they added the x and y <laughs> button i still struggle with the fact there's an x and a y button because and it's the same as a different x to the playstation and the xbox too so it's like push x and i push one of the other ones and it's like no that's why and i'm just I was going to say, Saf, it's been 15 years. I'm an old, I'm like an, <laughs> I become an old lady as soon as I pick up a DS. I don't know what I'm doing anymore. <laughs> That's going to be me, like, looking at people with the Switch. Like, you kids, I don't know, it's buttons and Switch. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just something about, something about Nintendo consoles always get me. <laughs> the only thing that I didn't like with that system was the, um, uh, the item finder one. Oh, you because didn't like that one? yeah, yeah. I I very much wish it was back either like the X and Y or the um, Oris item finder system. Like the Oris one was the best because like you just put the thing on your head and then you just walked around. And I don't remember if you had. I haven't played in the while i don't know if you like had the press and hold a button at the same time or if it just started going off when you went you know if you got in range of an item just started going off so yeah and like it was just so much more useful because the with the the uh ride one like you have to press the button down and it slows you down because the what I always did was, I was always on the ride Pokemon, that particular ride Pokemon, because it was like the fastest one to run around on without pushing a button to make it fast. Um, yeah. And so every now and then I would just push the B button and just spin around in a circle. If I pick something up, I'd be like, cool. And then I'd keep running again. <laughs> yeah. I guess I thought- it's probably just the way I play through them, where, like, if I don't find the missing, I- like, the hidden items, like, like it, it just bugs me. I'm like, the, the items are here. I gotta find them. What's going on? <laughs> you know? So. That one felt more like a mini game to me. It yeah. required I enjoyed it, but it required really concentrating on playing like hot and cold with the items, so I didn't yeah. use it all that often. Speaking of the ride Pokemon themselves, I think the biggest thing that bugged me about the system is that none of like I think other than Machamp, none of the Pokemon are from Alola. Hmm. So, yeah. it, it, yeah. like, it kind of bugged me that, like, Charizard was there and, like, Stoutland, or Stoutland's there, never mind. Stoutland, um, yeah. But, like, Charizard, like, I get why they use Charizard, because it's Charizard and everyone loves Charizard. And, oh my god, Charizard, <laughs> like, I get it. But, there, it just seemed like that would have been a better opportunity to use a Pokemon from Alola. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. I did think it was weird that you kind of never, except for... I guess Stoutland and is it uh, Hapu's Pokemon, the horse one? Uh, yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. so you get okay, connected so some to of the Pokemon. them. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I yeah. said just I said just Machamp, but like no, it, it was Stoutland and um, Mudbray or not Mudbray, Mudsdale. Can't believe you um, lied yeah, us like so that. At least with at least with Mudsdale, you kind of got to know it as a character. But with Charizard, I was kind of like. Who is oh. this Charizard that will listen to <laughs> yeah. me, but only when it needs to fly me somewhere? Like, I felt I was a little um, jarred out of the idea of partner Pokemon, because those were so obviously, like, not partners. They were just the Pokemon version of Uber. <laughs> it, was, it was Pokemon Uber. Like. <laughs> it, it, exactly. Um, <laughs> it's funny. 
Yeah. And, and like, I think, obviously, I think the Lapras to surf, I mean, obviously that makes sense. I, to be honest, I always use Sharpedo because the, I think fast. the jet ski. Yeah, well, that and jet, the jet Sharpedo ski is so much fun. Yeah, it's so much fun to just ski yeah. around. I love it so much. Um, I think the overall, like the Pokemon they chose, seem it seems a little weird because we do have other tropical Pokemon that would have worked, like Tropius, who's oh, yeah. literally who's tropical. literally a, a real palm tree, tree like dinosaur. Like mm-hmm. wait, Tropius for like flying? Well, no, yeah. just well, yeah. I mean, he would have been the, he would have been a great flying one. That would have been a weird cutscene. Well, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. The fact that they didn't have Tropius on the tropical islands. Yeah, I miss that weird like, banana guy. Like him, <laughs> um, and there's just there's other Pokemon that I just I would have rather have seen. Like I, I could have done with less Pokemon, le- like less classic Pokemon. Yeah, I agree. Which kind of ties into what we wanted to talk about with the Lowland forms. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, like Alola forms are great, but they're only with the Generation 1 Pokemon. Oh my god, yeah, I didn't think about that. Mm-hmm. So, and and that's, uh, I, it's a great idea, but it's it's just really annoying that it's just the Generation 1 Pokemon, so it only really seems like Generation 1 Pokemon are going on vacation to Alola. <laughs> they don't, it doesn't feel like this is an ecosystem because it's only affecting these Pokemon. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think hmm. I, I also found it weird, like with the earlier generation Pokemon, because they look really out of place compared to the older Pokemon. Because I love a, a lot of my favorite Pokemon are from the first couple generations, but I took them out of my team because they just looked really weird. Yeah, like it. The I think the only one I really kept was um, Alolan Marowak, but that's just because it's so much better than a traditional Marowak. <laughs> Yeah, it also I was looks so cool. excited when I got to those uh, Alolan Vulpix. Oh my god, Didn't yes. It, wasn't there some discussion, I, I don't remember if we talked about this a few weeks ago, but that they changed only the first generation because the idea was that people that came in from Pokemon Go might recognize them, but then also be able to see them in a different form? Well, essentially, yes, because they, they're they capitalizing on the nostalgia with Pokemon Go and the 20th anniversary like they're this is the nostalgia engine for them so that's why like that's why we're getting when you transfer the pikachu from the pokemon yellow version like like that's why he's going to have like the special like trainer red cap mm-hmm. right. oh, okay okay um like they're they're capitalizing on that and there's nothing wrong with that because that's yeah you know that's that's how we get more pokemon games but i i think that it causes the new games to suffer a bit because it's catering so much to nostalgia yeah i feel like that can be a problem with pokemon in general because it's a lot of the mechanics are still quite outdated even though they're updating and bringing in new mechanics there's still a lot that's that feels old and clunky especially now that there's so much newer stuff that works really well and i feel like largely because of the nostalgia it's hard for them to move out of those old things and make them not so clunky and old. Any particular examples of things that you think feel clunky? Honestly, the battle system just still feels really weird. Like, I mean, it's it works it worked back then, but it's just it it's kind of boring and tedious now because 
I've played like a million versions of these games. It's sort of like Final Fantasy used to be turn-based, sort of similar to Pokemon, and they've changed that a lot in the later generations because turn-based stuff has kind of become outdated a little bit. Hmm. See, I think I would disagree. I kind of go to that. I kind of go to Pokemon for that. And it's like, it's a very surface disagreement, but part of what I enjoy is knowing that the mechanics will be the same and the pace of the battles will be the same. I mean, no, I agree. Like, I love it, but I feel like they could try something new with it. Even if it didn't work, I would like to see experimentation with the battles. See, yeah, that because that reminds me of, like, Final Fantasy Nine, uh, where the battle system there was turn-based, but you could set it so that it was either strictly turn-based like Pokemon, like it's my turn, then your turn, your turn, then my turn. Or it was it called the active time battle where whoever's like whoever's ready meter filled up first, that's who went next. And I think if Pokemon kind of experimented with a system like that, but then also kind of adopted the more dynamic battle of Pokemon Go where you can dodge attacks. Okay. Like, I think a combination yeah. of those three things would kind of change. Well, I mean, would definitely change how it works. The other thing that sucks about Pokemon is that a lot of it is still left up to chance, which is what really sucks about the competitive scene is that too much is left up to chance. Like, if you have a 30% chance of paralyzing somebody, like, do you, is, is it even worth it to use that move for that second ability? Yeah. And you can clinch a win by accident, essentially. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I, I like turn-based stuff a lot. I really dig it. I would just like to see Pokemon try new things. Because it there has been a lot of stuff that's changed. And it's been interesting in that it makes the games feel really fresh and new. And sometimes it works and they keep it in. Sometimes it doesn't work and they change it in the next game. And I would, I would... The battles are the main things that haven't really changed much. Except for bringing in a bunch of new moves and stuff. Um... So I would like to see something different, but I don't think it'll happen. Yeah, I agree. Like, I think that's one of those things that we're just going to kind of have to accept. Like, Pokemon isn't going to evolve out of this. Yeah. I feel like there was something else I was going to say, and now I've just totally forgotten what it was. Hello, <laughs> <laughs> Pokemon has to evolve. Yeah, I, I mean... I'm not done with the end of uh, of Sun yet, which I'm curious to see because I know there is that like end game story, and I talked about before that I want to see what that's like before I make any sort of comment on the writing in this game because I, I really did like the writing in this game. I loved Lily and her like mini trial, but I think those mini missions at the end are really where we see the kind of thing that Pokemon could do from a story standpoint. And like, I'm, I'm going off topic a little bit. I'm going further away from the game mechanics thing, but trying to focus on it evolving. I think part of that evolution could be making the stories a little more complicated. Yeah. I'm with you there. Like I'm playing, I didn't play the post mission of um, X and Y, but I'm playing it at the moment of Sun and I'm really liking it. It's really interesting. I like it because I've got like title cards for the little missions that you're doing and it's really cute. That sounds delightful. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, oh, go ahead, Mike. I, I think I'd kind of like to see a, 
like an actual Pokemon game that was not like the typical story, not the typical story where you go through, you know, where trials or gym leaders or whatever, but the entire game was like a post-game mission. Yeah. Yeah. I would love Where they that. came up with an actual storyline like that, where you got to, you know, you're, you know, some event happens and you have to, I don't know, kind of like solve a mystery or something like that. Oh, um, I meant to ask this before and then I forgot. Does Nintendo have any history of doing like difficulty settings? Not really. Not yeah, a, not, not really. In the sense that there's a selectable one. There's they've changed difficulty levels when bringing games over from Japan. But right, they've never okay. they've never really done a selectable difficulty level. Yeah, I don't think All that's right. something we would Let's... see in Pokemon. But I would I would kind of like it because I know there are a bunch of people who are older Pokemon players who are so like I want I want the old stuff back, and I hate being that person. But I am that person in some cases. Like I'm not saying they should change the games to put that stuff back in because they shouldn't. But I do miss <laughs> the unnecessary difficulty of the older games. <laughs> there was something for Black and White where. Once you played through it once, it unlocked um, a difficulty level switch. Oh, that's right. Really? I forgot about that. Yeah. Huh. Um, so, yeah. So, if you beat the game, you could start it over. But I think all the poke, like, I think it didn't it change the distribution and, like, everybody was raised up like 10 levels or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. See, I'd like something like that at the start of the game. That would be really cool. Yeah. yeah, yeah, like a like a new game plus for yeah. Pokemon would be would be yeah. good. especially especially now because with Pokemon Bank, which was supposed to update in Jan- by like by now in January, oh, yeah, it was. hasn't yet. Um, I want my Swablu. Why can't it hurry up? <laughs> I know, <laughs> but but like it, it makes it that much easier to do multiple run throughs now because you can just upload the Pokemon you want to the bank and then start a new game and then if you like that game, bring them back. Yeah. Like, I have to use a third-party device to put my save on my computer to start a new game. And then if I want to switch back to my other one, I do that. Yeah. Like, I shouldn't have to do that. Yeah, yeah, I definitely agree with that. Hmm. And I guess part of my feeling about the difficulty goes along with that feeling of, of nostalgia, of, like, you want the game to be a little tricky. And Alola was... was gorgeous it was not tricky and it didn't quite have that sense of mystery that i think even even x and y had and i'm tempted to like part of me is like oh it just doesn't have mystery because you're not actually a child anymore but i i think like <laughs> i wasn't i wasn't a child when i played x and y either and i think <laughs> that world felt a little more the exploration felt a little more like actual exploration than it did in, in Sun. Yeah. yeah. X and Y had like way more on the terms of uh lore behind it too. Hmm. Yeah, the the story in Sun was much more was much more personal. And again, that's like personal to Lily and Gladian, not to the player. And I did like that shift. Like, I'd be fine with, okay, 
X and Y are about like a war and yeah. um, sun and moon are about a family. Like, that's fine. They don't have to be the same, but I definitely felt the difference. Yeah. Me too. Um, and I, I like the idea of them branching out and trying out different ways of telling the story. Cause in a way, X and Y kind of end up being personal for that, that one guy with that one Pokemon, the weird dude. Um, but it, like, it didn't really <laughs> impact your story that much, except for the war being something related to the story. I can't really remember exactly what happened in that game anymore, I'm gonna be honest. But, like, seeing them do different kind of story types within the Pokemon thing is interesting. And I think they are experimenting to find something that does really work. And I feel like a lot of people really enjoyed the story of, of Sun and Moon because it resonated personally with people. Yeah, and there's always gonna be that factor of either something resonates personally with you, or it doesn't, which is, it's always so hard to kind of separate your own personal connection. Like, you know, maybe I didn't imprint on Sun, but somebody else did. Like, it's hard to separate that from the actual criticism, which would be things like, oh, the, the sort of hand-holding mechanics or the way it was balanced or something. Yeah. I, yeah, I totally agree with that. And for me personally, the story didn't resonate that much, but the game was really fun. So it was fine in the end because of that. It was a really good escape. I think I would say that my final, like, judgment on it, if I had to make a final judgment from where, where I am now at, I've just finished the Elite Four, is that it was a really good escape. It was a necessary distraction, but it wasn't as immersive as past Pokemon experiences have been. Yeah. I yeah, think I can't mine would be really the same. argue with that. Yeah. You guys, do you have any other sort of conclusions that you would want to uh to talk about? Uh I mean, I just I want to see more um, I, I want to see them refine things a little bit more. Um, there's a lot of side quests you pick up in this game that I don't remember. And oh, there's yeah. no journal. There's no journal to go back and track okay, those. Yeah. Like I like I promised all these people I'd show them a Pokemon and I don't remember. Yep. Yeah. And I don't remember who they are. Um, the Zygarde cubes subquest. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Apparently there's a hundred of them. Yep. Yeah. There's, I think I got like no eighty to, something. Where do you, there's no way to track it? No, there's not. I just I look. I didn't really look everywhere, but I always because I'm so used to the old games where you'd go and like click in like random spaces and corners and stuff and find items. So I just do that out of habit now, and so I just found heaps of Zygarde things because of that. Yeah, and <laughs> but the but the problem with that is that this world is so much is so much larger and has so many more corners. Yeah. Yeah. It's harder to find them on your own. Yeah, I definitely just kind of kept looking for them as the game went on and didn't certainly didn't end up with 100. I'm not sure I got to 50 even, which is what you would have needed to make like Zygarde's second form. Yeah. Um, I know there's guides to them. But I certainly didn't end up with all of them. That's interesting that you say that the game felt like it had more sort of nooks and crannies, like it was bigger. It kind of did, yeah. 
it's it's hard to tell because I can't really remember much of the older games, but this world definitely did feel big, and I think it being separated into islands like that kind of helped with that feeling. Yeah. Yeah. Did, one thing, I didn't end up going back and forth between islands very much because of that, because it was so big. Yeah, once I was on an island, I kind of just stuck around until I needed to leave. Yeah. Yeah, I did that too, and then until you get to the point where like, before you take on the Elite Four, and then I'm just like, eh, I'm just gonna go around catching a bunch of things that I haven't caught yet, you know? <laughs> <laughs> I have to go back and get that Alolan Vulpix one of these days. <laughs> I got one as oh, soon yeah. as I could. They're so cute. So they the really are. Thing with the, how they're, because uh, Moon has the Alolan Sandshrew, yeah. and its son has the Alolan Vulpix, so, like, I just caught, like, two or three of the sand shrews and just put them on to the, like, the GTS and just asked for a Vulpix back. And then somebody who must have had Sun just traded me one. Yeah, that's a really oh, cool. cute thing to do. Like, there are a few things I've noticed on the trading, the global trading thing, where um, it's kind of accepted trades to make things equal for everyone. So you've got, like, the Vulpix and the Sandshrew. Or I've noticed um, yeah. with... With uh, Phoebus and Melodic, there's a lot of people oh, yeah. who have um, Phoebus up there with the prism scales, and basically you just trade it for a Phoebus with a prism scale, and you both end up with Melodic. And I was like, that's really cute! Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, any, you- any final thoughts on these games? I'm, I'm curious to see what comes next. Um, there's They have that precedent of doing a third version that kind of fixes a lot of tweaks. We've seen that with, you know, yellow crystal and emerald and platinum, but then with black, black and white. And then with X and Y, we didn't get that third game. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what direction they go with, because we do know that there is a lot of unfinished content in there. And there's a lot of hints to like a story being continued. If not, if we don't get like a, like a Pokemon Emerald Platinum version, we may get like Sun and Moon 2. Yeah. Like because there's a white. lot of. No, black and white. Yeah. yeah. Like, black, yeah. like black and white too. Because there's a lot of. Um, and my friends over at Game Explained, they explained this that there's a lot of uh, unused lots in a lot of the towns that are under construction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And yeah. so it feels like that's something that would come back, you know, in a game set a couple years later, like in black and white too. There's think, the whole, the guy that's trying to create Jurassic Park, basically. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there's that guy. Um, mm-hmm. There's also there's also the rumor that we may get the third game in the form of Pokemon Stars for the Nintendo Switch, which has been hinted at, huh. and I think Game Freak said they were looking at the Switch, but they weren't actively working on anything for the Switch yet. Okay. Interesting. And, nothing was an, and nothing was announced for Pokemon at the nintendo conference last week so Hmm. it's interesting to see what's going to be coming all right it is but but these games only came out three months ago so we've got a lot of time yeah Yeah. because i wonder you know if it'll end up going the same pattern that it has recent where they just like with x and y they there wasn't anything to continue on with those games and then they came out with the remakes of Ruby and Sapphire. So 
will we be getting i mean the prevailing wisdom must be if they're gonna remake the next if they're gonna remake another series of games they'll be remaking diamond and pearl this time oh yeah which i hope i hope they don't i mean those games the whole reason for the remakes was that the games that they were being remade weren't really playable on current consoles yeah exactly. yeah it would be weird and, to do those games yeah and since and since the ds games work on the 3ds like yeah mm, yeah like, I, there's not there's not really much you can add to it mm-hmm. other than the fact that like gladion graphics update <laughs> well it'd be a graphics update and then um uh, gladion's pokemon uh type null yeah there's the whole backstory behind type null being a like a man-made version of arceus yep who was introduced in diamond and pearl but then also the special munchlax that we got mm-hmm. munchlax munchlax de- debuted in diamond and pearl and if you're taking that as a clue like that's what happened with us with the last games where we got the special edition torchic when X and that's Y right. came out and then we got Ruby Sapphire remakes. So yeah. Like there That'd are clues pointing to it. Yeah. Did much life come out in diamond and pearl? He did. Yeah. I feel like it was earlier than that. Seriously. Cause I had a much toy when I was a kid. Yeah. Uh, you were, were a kid in 2007 then. I was a teenager. There's no way. <laughs> I don't believe this. Yeah, I don't yeah. believe this. <laughs> Because you had to, mystery. you had to breed Snorlax with a full incense, and yeah. that was introduced in Diamond and Pearl. Weird. They must have brought out the toys before those games came out, then, because I definitely had it before 2007. I think well, they did. It was he was introduced in the anime, like Togepi uh, was exactly. Right. Okay, yeah, that makes sense. That's what I was gonna say. That makes it was sense. in like he was in one of the movies or something. I think. Yeah. Plus, you're in New Zealand, so you get everything after we do. Excuse me. We get something. We got we got Star Wars before you. Don't don't try and say that to me. <laughs> you do get everything else first, though, so that's fair. <laughs> so okay, um, where can we find all of you, Mike Templeton? Where can we find you online? Uh, you can follow, find me on Twitter at it's the Rocketeer. That's I T S the Rocketeer. Um, I'm on Twitch as well under it's the Rocketeer, where I'm currently playing. Um, Red Dead Redemption on Xbox One. Ooh, nice. Because I love that game. Um, but you can also catch me on all the shows I do over at the Random Chatter Network, uh, Retro Convo, Ghost Stories, which is a Rebel Recap show, and the new one we just launched, Force Chatter, which is kind of an- another news discussion show. I know, another Star Wars discussion show. <laughs> but... <laughs> I mean, there's been an absence of them, probably. You know, yeah, I mean, I, I, we thought we'd fill the void. <laughs> All right, Michael Dit, where can we find you? Um, so, yeah, I'm on Twitter at Mike underscore Adet. Uh I write for coffeewithkenobi.com. Uh, I do a lot of podcasting stuff with Far Far Away Radio. Uh, you can see all our shows over there. We're working on... Uh, our next audio drama for Return of the Jedi, which it's it's been pretty awesome so far. Can't wait to, for that to come out. Yeah, I'm cool. real excited for that too. All right, Megan, where can we find you? You can find me at Blog Full of Words on Twitter and Facebook, and I write for 
Den of Geek, StarWars.com, and Star Wars Insider. All right. I am found on Twitter at WandaLustin, W-A-N-D-E-R-L-U-S-T-I-N. You can also find me just around Toshi Station and Firefly Radio as well. Um, and also on my site, NotSafeWork.com. Make sure to check out these two mics because they're both real cool. Check out Megan's writing because that's also real cool. And don't forget to check us. Check us. Don't forget to check the Western Reaches. <laughs> Thanks, guys. <laughs> Cut